You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I haven't talked to you in a while. What have you been up to? I have been up to playing a lot of Magic. I started back up at uh, the bartending job that I had last year, so I'm back to back to that grind. Had a few training sessions this week. And uh, I actually, all this podcast prep uh, helped me book my first voiceover gig this week, so that was pretty sweet. Nice. Yeah. I've got my my sweet, you know, blue snowball here. If you guys are listening and you want to sponsor this podcast, we're we're welcoming any and all uh, submissions for sponsorship. We do use your products, and they are very good, as you can hear. Heck yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that was fun. Uh, How about you? How was your week? You've been on a a whirlwind tour this weekend, yeah? Yeah, I took the uh, the old paoli minibus across the state of indiana four <laughs> four hours up to purdue four hours back today chaperoned some all-state band so yeah it was good kids had a concert uh today and they played really well it was a lot of fun did you have any sort of like conducting duties or like like no, teacher I, duties or were you just purely an adult bed checks i was like are you wow. here great are you not having sex great good night <laughs> <laughs> great i love it well we have quite the episode here today there's a new set coming out this week baby Ooh, yeah masters 25 though is it a 25 what is all this a 25 i'm seeing anniversary around? 25 i think is that the preferred nomenclature i'm gonna be calling it m25 <laughs> great masters 25 it is you heard it here first on lords of limited it's coming out this week and we want to get y'all prepped and ready if you're going to be grinding it on magic online in the phantom queues would be our recommendation i believe or if you're going to your fnm and trying to kick some butt there we're going to give you as many tools as we can to prepare you for the set releasing and to have a leg up against the competition yeah before we do that we got patreon stuff to get to yeah we got Patreon stuff to get to. That is correct. So we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you as a listener can give back to the show if you so choose. We have a lot of sweet perks that we try to give to incentivize you to do so. Uh, the base level there is you get access to our Discord chat, and that is where it's happening, people. This is where the degenerate of the degenerates come to talk about their draft logs, their keeper mulls, their what's-the-play decisions to brag about their trophy hypes, to ask us questions. Uh, You get access to not only me and Ben to give you feedback about all things limited, but a whole community of listeners just like you. And that's just for the base level. Get access to our show notes. And believe me, for episodes like this Crash Course, you're going to want access to the show notes. And you even get a little behind-the-scenes access to the show. We do a little recording to prep for the podcast. You get access to that uh, for a higher tier of donation. Um, So we just want to take a, a moment to thank everyone who has supported the show from the beginning to last week it's really been incredible to have so many people come and support the show not only listening but participating in all the the forums that we have for you it's really been an incredible journey and we're excited to to keep moving forward yes absolutely the discord is my favorite part of the podcast love coming home and going through everyone's drafts okay so last time a new set dropped last time when rivals of Exelon came out we decided to do things a little differently there's a lot of card by card set reviews out there for you and we wanted to take a different route and we got a lot of positive feedback so we're going to continue down that path for this masters 25 crash course for you and we're going to try and bring you as many stats as possible about the set so ben maybe you can run through what this episode is going to look like for the listeners 
Yeah, first thing we're going to do is start off with stats, just jamming as many of those as we can, looking at the power and toughness of creatures in the set, the average converted mana cost for creatures, what the removal's like, instant speed, sorcery speed, what's the cost of the removal, how does the removal match up against the creatures, what sort of life gain there is in the format. That's kind of been a clue to us in the past couple formats about the format slowing down, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, What sort of sweepers are available at common, uncommon, mana sinks? Like, are you going to have places to dump your mana, or is it going to be two drops raining the format? What sort of fixing is available? Are you going to be able to do multicolored dirtle decks? Sort of compiling all that stuff and then taking a look at what that leads us to believe about the format. Is it going to be fast? Is it going to be slow? Is it going to be prince? Is it going to be pauper? Our best guesses based on those stats that we've compiled. And then for each color, after we do all that, we're going to go through. Ethan and I have already graded every card individually in a spreadsheet uh, that has a lot of other statistics too. We've got all the removal listed. We've got all the tricks listed and rankings for all of those things. We're going to make that available to everyone. And for each color, we're going to highlight places where we had different grades for cards. Uh, So for example, if I gave a card a B and Ethan gave it a C, we're going to discuss that and take a look at why we had a grading difference there. Um, And basically that's going to be me telling Ethan he's right the whole time. Uh, (laughs) I cannot argue with this man. And we're also going to take a look at top commons and top uncommons for each color and then after that this this set has something a little different than other limited sets we've been living in a tribal format the last two two sets here with ixalan and rivals of ixalan this set has a lot more uh two card interactions and is a lot more open-ended for you to draft so we're going to take a look at what some of those two card combinations might be and how you can best jam them into decks built around those synergies and for every card that we look at in the episode today, we're only looking at commons and uncommons. So we're not going to be talking about rares or mythics because as drafters, the bulk of your decks are going to consist of commons and uncommons. And, you know, if a card is a bomb at rare or mythic, you're probably already going to know that, especially in this set with it being a reprint. Um, so we're assuming that that our episode is going to be uh, playing in conversation with other limited set reviews that you either listen to or read. Um, so we're hoping to be a good addition to that, a good companion piece to those. Uh, and that's what we're hoping that these stats provide you today. Absolutely. So without further ado, we should get into our grading scale. Yes. So the grades that we have in the spreadsheet that will be accessible to all in our show notes um, is going to be, I think, the grading scale that most people use, the limited resources A through F grading scale. So that begins with A's being for bombs, game winners that are good in many situations, especially when behind. These are going to be the best cards in the set, uh, the hyper-efficient removal spells, and bomb rares. So from examples from the last set, Tetsamok Primal Death, Profane Procession, and Hadana's Climb. Next up are the Bs. They're strong cards that pull you into a color or make you want to play that color. Specific reasons to be in a particular color or combination of colors. Some of the best commons and good uncommons. So examples of Bs would be Impale, Luminous Bonds, Bombard, Needletooth Raptor, and Thrashing Barontodon. Cs, these are going to be solid playables, the meat and potatoes of any limited deck, interchangeable, uh, average creatures, normal removal spells, so like Jungleborn Pioneer, Sailor of Means, Dusk Legion Zealot, or Legion Conquistador. Next up, we've got the Ds. These are your sometimes playable, below-average, 22nd, 23rd type cards. Some examples of Ds, Pirate's Pillage, Sun Sentinel, Sea Legs, and Aggressive Urge. Fs. These are the unplayables, cards you should never, ever put in your deck. These are often going to be weird rares, as exampled here. Arcane Adaptation, Silent Gravestone, Sphinx's Decree, 
and Storm the Vault. And if you did it right, you will have no idea what any of those cards that I just named did for Marvel's <laughs> We were talking about this in the pre-show. I do not know what a single one of those do except Arcane <laughs> Adaptation. <laughs> Sideboard cards, cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in can be quite good. Some examples of that from the last set. Cleansing Ray, Negate, and Naturalize. Build around cards. These are cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them, they can be good to great. So think back to the last set, Merfolk Mistbinder as a Merfolk Lord, or Legion's Lieutenant as a Vampire Lord, Knight of the Stampede to reduce the cost of your dinos. Those are going to be good cards to, to build around. We're going to have a new category of card this time around called Synergy Cards. Uh, these kind of work in tandem with build arounds. They're cards that are not totally worth building around per se, but provide payoffs when they synergize with other cards. So for example, from the last set, Silvergill Adept, the one in a blue for the 2-1 Merfolk that costs three more to cast unless you reveal a Merfolk card from your hand and when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card. That's a great card, but only in a Merfolk deck, but isn't really powerful enough that you want to move into Merfolk 4, so it's kind of like the payoff card or the synergy you get for being Merfolk. Similarly, Daring Buccaneer and Temple Altosaur kind of fall under that same category of card. Yeah, so we wanted something just a little bit different than, than build around there. And before we discuss any of the, the cards, now that we've gone through the grading scale, we just want to look at uh, the returning mechanics. So this is a, a set entirely of reprints, so we don't have any new mechanics, but they may be new to you if you hadn't played with these cards. So the first of these returning mechanics is going to be cycling. Uh, so cycling allows you to discard this card to draw a card, or there's type cycling, and for this uh, this set there's going to be some land cyclers, so cards that either say basic land cycling or maybe like forest cycling so you discard this card to search for a specific type of card 15 cards with cycling at common and uncommon in the set and there is only one payoff and that's horror of the broken lands at common that's a four and a black for the a four four that has cycling on it but whenever you discard a card or cycle uh, it gets plus two plus one until end of turn but that's going to be your only real payoff for cycling in the set Next up, we've got Morph. Morphs are creatures that come with an alternate cost of three. So at any time, you can cast a card with Morph for three face down as a 2-2 creature. Um, and then at any time, you can turn it face up for its Morph cost. So you're essentially hiding what the true uh, nature of your card is by morphing it. So the Morph cost might be for a blue card, three blue blue. And then when you pay that Morph cost of three blue blue, you turn the card face up and it does what it actually says on the card. There's also Mega Morph in the set, which is the exact same as Morph, but it gives the creature a plus one plus one counter when you flip it face up. So there's 17 total cards with Morph or Mega Morph, 14 of those at common or uncommon. And most of the Morph cards are concentrated in the Teamer colors. So that would be red, blue, and green. There's one black Morph and one white Morph. And if you haven't played with Morph before, I would say it's important to know that Morph is not something you respond to. It's not like an instant or a spell that goes on the stack. When a player pays the Morph cost, it happens. The Morph flips up. You can't respond to that. That is correct, yes. It's also worth noting that the Morph cards are really good mana sinks. So, for example, you can play more expensive cards in your deck. But essentially, they're not expensive cards, but you could because you can always play them on turn three as a 2-2. So you might be playing like some green, there's like a green 6-7 morph that you morph for three, and then you can pay five and a green to unmorph it into a 6-7. So that lets you play more expensive cards without the risk of staring at a hand full of six and seven drops that you can't cast. So morphs, any card with morph is going to be better than it looks if you've never played with morph before. Just the, the flexibility of those cards really, really makes them strong. Yeah, absolutely. The next mechanic that we're going to be looking at is protection from a color. If a permanent has protection from a color, it means four things. 
1. Damage that would be dealt to that permanent by a source of that color is prevented. 2. Auras and equipment of that color can't be attached to that permanent. 3. Creatures of that color can't block that permanent. And 4. That permanent can't be the target of spells of that color or abilities from sources of that color. So really just means protection from that color in any sense that the game can provide. Next up, we've got Regenerate. When you regenerate a permanent, you're creating a replacement effect shield to be used later. So that means, essentially, uh, the next time that the permanent with Regenerate would be destroyed this turn, instead remove all damage marked on it and tap it. If it's an attacking or blocking creature, remove it from combat. So, for example, there's a card Ghost Ship in this set. 2 blue blue for a 2-4 flyer with Regenerate blue blue blue. If at any point your Ghost Ship would take lethal damage, you can pay blue 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 create a replacement shield for it a regeneration shield and then it will survive that damage that would have destroyed it otherwise all right it's time for the stats baby i need to know about the stats of the creatures and their power and toughness ben i will lay it on you so the average power and toughness in the set creatures have an average power of 2.39 and an average toughness of 2.60 Uh, The median number of power and toughness of all the creatures, there's 99 creatures in the set, is 2 for power and 2 for toughness. So on average, you're going to be facing down bears, or uh, what's the 3 mana for the 2-2 called? Oh, uh, gray ogres? Gray ogres, yeah, I said that wrong in our last... (laughs) Oh yeah, you called them pikers. Yeah, or gray ogres, as the case may be, depending on their casting cost. The mode is 2 and 2 again, although... One toughness was very close to the mode, and in fact would have been the mode, but I think you, when you compiled these, you factored in two and two for all the morphs as well? I didn't actually. I I factored in three for the CMC that we'll get to later, but I didn't actually factor in two and two for the the power toughness here. Okay. The range for the commons in the power is zero to six, and for toughness, it's one to seven. The uncommon power and toughness stats are pretty similar. We've got uh, the average power is 2.37, so a little lower, but the average toughness is actually exactly the same at 2.6. Median power toughness is 2.2. The mode power toughness is 1.1, actually, at uncommon, uh, which leads me to believe we've got a lot of utility creatures at uncommon there. And the range of power to toughness is 0 to 9 for power and 1 to 9 for toughness. So what's the sort of like overall stats here for creatures' power toughness here? So of those 99 creatures, 35 of the 99 creatures have power 2, 27 of the 99 creatures have toughness 2, and 56 of the 99 creatures have toughness 2 or less. So we're looking at a lot of fairly small creatures probably that have some pretty sweet abilities. Yeah, for sure. So about half of them looks like they have toughness 2 or less. So moving on to the converted mana cost stats. So here, for each morph creature, I did include its actual CMC and a CMC of 3 to sort of like split the difference of sometimes you're going to cast it face up, sometimes you're going to cast it for its morph cost. Some creatures you're like almost never going to cast for its morph cost, some you're almost never going to cast for its non-morph cost. Um, So the average CMC of the commons and uncommons in the set is 3.25. The median CMC is 3. The mode is 3, but it would be 2 if we didn't include those morph costs. And the range is 1 to 9. So yeah, so you are looking at a format of Grey Ogres then, right? Two twos for 3. 
Yeah, that's true. Well, and that would make sense in a format with morphs. Yes. Because mm-hmm. that's what morphs are. Right. Now, the last set that had morphs in it was Khans of Tarkir, right? I think so, yeah. And that set sort of played out where those creatures were pretty relevant. It didn't feel bad, and most people were often going like, maybe they'd play a two-drop, but then on turn three, everyone was basically playing a morph. Yeah, that format was weird. There was either a gentleman's agreement where nobody played anything before turn three, <laughs> and then like some decks just kind of preyed on that fact where they played a bunch of two drops that had two power, and if you curved out with your two drops on two power, you just felt really far ahead. Right, because your two drop was trading with their three drop, and then if you could back it up with removal or combat tricks, you were just like tempoing them out. Yep. So how does the creature power toughness and CMC match up with the removal in this set? Yeah, the removal, we've got it all listed in the spreadsheet. We're not going to go through all of the removal spells here. We are going to go through the top five. And for once in our lives, Ethan and I have the same top five removal spells. It's true. I think we're. I think there are two things. I think one, we're getting to know each other better. And two, I think we're getting better at evaluating cards. At least I feel that way. Yeah, I agree. From having to do all these set reviews from doing the podcast. But we also could be wrong. This this could not be the correct five, you know. This could certainly, yes. Obviously, we are not <laughs> the authorities on Magic the Gathering. Yeah. We're pretty decent. Pretty decent. Before we go into the individual five, I think it's important to note that the removal here is concentrated in non-blue colors, right? Yes, there is literally no removal in blue that's hard removal. Right. There's like blue elemental blast, which is a sideboard card, and there's this card freed from the reel, which is like a clunky tapper, basically. But there's no like clean removal. We would be like, we would love a water knot in this set, for example, but it just doesn't really exist there. Nope. And the other thing we wanted to point out was the average converted mana cost of the removal spells, and that is 2.67. So if we match that up with the average CMC for creatures at common and uncommon at 3.25, that means you're going to get a really good rate on average with your removal matching up against the creatures. Yeah, you're almost gaining three-fourths of a mana, which is, I think, insanely good compared to recent limited formats. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, you'd expect to have better removal in a Masters set, but I think that's going to be a big shift mentally for people that are coming from Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan. I think removal is going to be great in this format, and I think we're really going to be getting back to bread. Yeah, I think removal is going to be king here. So without further ado, we should certainly count down our top five removal spells here. Yeah, so number five, we've got Fiend Hunter. This is one white white for a 1-3 creature. When it enters the battlefield, you exile target creature and opponent controls, and that card remains exiled for as long as Fiend Hunter remains on the battlefield. Quick note about Fiend Hunter. They don't really print cards this way anymore, but they did for this, and it's going to exist in this format. There is like some bounce and some blink here. But because that like block of text of like, Fiend Hunter comes into play, exiles the thing until it leaves the battlefield, because that block of text is all in one paragraph. That means that there's some tricky things you can do with, like, Fiend Hunter comes into play with the trigger on the stat if you stack. If you blink it or bounce it, you're still going to get that effect, and it's going to exile the creature forever. Permanently. It's really unintuitive, and that's probably why they don't print that anymore. But there are cards that are going to synergize with exploiting that ability in this set. In gross fashion. Yeah, for sure. It feels really good when you do it. Yeah, for sure. All right, number four on our list is good old-fashioned Lightning Bolt. Single red mana for the instant, deal three damage to target creature or player. Good, clean, classic. (laughs) Moving on, number three, we've got Murder. One black, black for the instant, destroy target creature. Number two... He's back, baby. Ravenous Chupacabra. Two black black for the 2-2 creature. When it comes into play, destroy target creature. 
And I think this edges out maybe like something that might seem more powerful in Lightning Bolt for us, at least at the moment, because there's a lot of ways to abuse Enter the Battlefield triggers in this set, and we'll get to some of those later on in the episode. And at number one, probably the best removal spell of all time, single white mana for swords to plowshares, instant speed, exile target creature, its controller gains life equal to its power. Those removal spells are busted. There are also a number of other good and great removal spells on this list uh, in our spreadsheet, so make sure you check those out, have them in mind when you go to your first draft of Masters 25. Yeah, 22 of them in total, uh, lots of instant speed removal, one pseudo wrath at uncommon uh, pyroclasm for one and a red. It's a sorcery that deals two damage to each creature. All right, uh, a few other things, non maybe creature related in general, that we wanted to look at was the amount of life gain in the set at common or uncommon. And in the past, I think the biggest takeaway when I first started looking at this was after uh, we wrapped up Hour of Devastation. And the amount of incidental life gain in that set really, I think, let that format slow down a bit. It really let those mid-range and control decks catch up to the aggro decks, which made aggro decks, I think, um, a bit more difficult to get or a bit more difficult to to win out because there was so much incidental life gain. And we do have some here, not a ton. There are seven cards at common and uncommon that gain you life. There are actually a, a number of cards as well that gain your opponent's life. We just talked about one of them, Swords to Plowshares. But seven cards that gain you life when you play the card. They are exclusively in the Esper Shards. They're white and black, and there is the white-blue uncommon Cloud Blazer. This is probably the best of the bunch. Uh, it's three white-blue for a 2-2 flying creature. When it enters the battlefield, you gain two life and draw two cards. And its sort of counterpoint in black is uh, Bloodhunter Bat, which is three and a black for a 2-2 flying creature. When it comes into play, you gain two life and your opponents lose two life. And there's a, a few other here that, that are in our uh, show notes, but not, not a ton ton of life gain here that we're looking at then in this format no i agree moving on to mana sinks so this is another one uh, we've really felt the lack of these mana sinks uh, good ones anyway in ixalan and rivals of ixalan recently so worth noting that there are more mana sinks in this format but they're not all quality mana sinks so i think the big place to dump your mana in the set is going to be morphs and if you've never played with morphs they're a very good mana sink they make make it so that you almost always get to play games of magic because at the very worst you get to pay three mana to cast a vanilla 2-2 on turn three and even if you end up missing your fifth or sixth land drop you still get to play magic with those two twos and then lots of them are like expensive drops six drops seven drops eight drops where you can later in the game after you've played them as a three mana two two spend five six seven mana to flip them over into a very powerful creature so i think those are going to be the best of the mana sinks in the set and there's several others uh nine of them in total actually eight that we've got listed not counting the morphs but nothing on the level power level of shapers of nature or thundering spineback from ixalan those were two like places cards could, could just take over the game from dumping mana into them these are more minor effects that you're going to get for these mana sinks so for example there's a card called coral helm guide it's one and a blue for a two one and it has the activated ability of four and a blue target creature can't be blocked this turn stuff along those levels like not game winning effects but ways to kind of sort of get incremental advantage yeah for sure looking at the wraths in the set you you already discussed basically the only one at common or uncommon in pyroclasm that's the the one in red deal two to all creatures at sorcery speed and then we have four sweepers at rare so there's a chroma's vengeance this is four white white for sorcery destroy all artifacts creatures and enchantments uh, it also has cycling three on it there's living death which is three black black if you've been uh, playing the cube you've seen this card around it's a 
the sorcery, and it basically swaps all creatures in play with all creatures in graveyards. So you exile all the creatures you have in play, then you bring creatures from graveyard into play, and then the exiled creatures go into the graveyard. There's Pernicious Deed, which is one black-green for an enchantment, uh, and you can pay X to sacrifice Pernicious Deed and destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments with converted mana cost X or less. Love me a Pernicious Deed. Important to note, and there is a, a token theme in this format, that you can just crack Pernicious Deed for zero and kill all tokens, because tokens have converted mana cost of zero. And finally, there is Plague Wind, which is seven black black for a sorcery. Destroy all creatures your opponents control. They can't be regenerated. I'm really glad that that's in this set because I, you know, like everyone throws around the term Plague Wind. I've mm-hmm. never actually played with that card. Like, I mean, I know what it is just from everyone saying Plague Wind. I'd never seen that card before looking at the spoiler. Yeah, well, we've been used to it for three mana with Golden Demise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now it's back at nine mana at rare. Next up, we've got mana fixing, and boy, oh, is there a lot of it, and is it good? This is the category I've been waiting to talk about, Ben. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know. <laughs> Me too. So there's the full cycle of land cycling creatures at common. So what that is, it's a cycle of five cards, a creature of each color that have land cycling for the basic land type of their color. For example, the red one is Chartooth Cougar, which is five and a red for a 4-4 four, four and it's got uh, fire breathing, and then it's got mountain cycling. So for two mana, you can cycle it and go search a mountain up out of your deck. There's a card that's got island cycling, swamp cycling, so on and so forth, one for each color. There's Utopia Sprawl, which is uncommon. Uh, It's Enchant Forest. When it enters the battlefield, you choose a color. Whenever Enchanted Forest is tapped for mana, its controller adds one mana of the chosen color to his or her mana pool. So that's doing double duty there. That's ramping you and fixing you, Mm -hmm. which is insane for a single, single green mana. There's Prophetic Prism. This is colorless fixing. Filtering, rather, not fixing. Two mana for the artifact. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card, and you can pay a single mana and tap Prophetic Prism to add a mana of any color to your mana pool, so you can essentially change the color of the mana. Ash Barrens. This is a land that can tap to add colorless mana to your mana pool, and it's also got basic land cycling of one. So you can pay one mana, discard Ash Barrens, and search up any basic land out of your deck. So somewhere in between the goodness of Traveler's Amulet and Evolving Wilds, better than Traveler's Amulet, not quite as good as Evolving Wilds. There's Myriad Landscape. Myriad Landscape enters the battlefield tapped. You can tap it to add a colorless mana to your mana pool, and you can pay two tap, sacrifice Myriad Landscape, search your library for up to two basic land cards that share a land type, so two mountains, two forests, etc. Put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. So that's sort of a... It's essentially a rampant growth effect for three, right? Because you're paying two mana plus tapping the Myriad Landscape Mm -hmm. to net yourself ultimately one land. So not great, but we'll do the job in a pinch. Mm Mm-hmm cultivate this is two and a green for a sorcery search your library for up to two basic lands put one of them onto the battlefield tapped one of them into your hand that's some premium mana fixing and card advantage there and cross and tusker as well five green green for the six five Uh, it has cycling of two and a green and when you cycle it you may search your library for a basic land card reveal that card and put it into your hand then shuffle your library so you're drawing a card and you're getting a basic land out of your deck so a built-in two for one there when you cycle it Yeah, so I think important summary here is there are three pieces of fixing at common. We've got Cultivate, that's the green spell. We've got Prophetic Prism, that's the artifact that lets you filter and it replaces itself. And we've got the full cycle of the creature land cyclers. And then at Uncommon, we've got two more pieces of green fixing in Crows and Tusker and Utopia Sprawl, and two more pieces of colorless fixing with the two lands, Ash Barrens and Myriad Landscape. So a lot 
of mana fixing there. A lot of splish splashing around is going to be happening for me in Masters 25. I can feel it. Oh, yeah. The last thing we wanted to look at was flying. We talked a lot in Rivals and Ixalan about flying sort of being the scourge of that format. Like, you just needed to be able to answer flyers if you wanted to not be getting beaten down by them all the time. So in this format, 15 commons and uncommons, so 15 of the 99 creatures have flying. This is concentrated in the Esper Shard, not surprisingly, in white, blue, and black. There is one creature with reach, and that's Ember Weaver. That's two and a green for a two, three spider with reach. And if you control a red permanent, Ember Weaver gets plus one, plus O, and has first strike. So not a ton there, and there is plummet in green. So we may be back to, depending on how good these flyers are in the Esper colors, we may be back to, if you're in a, a green black or a green red deck, you may need to be main decking some plummets there. Yeah, so I think it's worth noting that this is almost exactly the stats of like flyers and creatures with reach in rivals of Ixalan. And we mm-hmm. know how like, that's like a legitimate plan to win the game in rivals of Ixalan, just to clog up the ground and win with flyers. So it looks like that might be something similar that we can expect from this format here. And we'll have to keep an eye on that for sure. All right. So what we want to do now is not go through all of the grades that we did for each of the commons and uncommons, but take a look at the cards where Ben and I differed, where we had at least two gradations different in our scoring of these cards, and maybe discuss, maybe we'll see if I can convince Ben, if he can convince me, if we missed out on something, we may just have to see how the format shakes out, and then we're going to rank our top commons and uncommons from each color after that. Yeah, let's do it. The first card we wanted to look at here is in white, We're going to look at all the white cards that we differed on. And this is Corona's Zealot. This is four and a white for a two five human cleric. It has a morph cost of three white white. So that means you can pay three to play it as a two two face down. And then at any time you may pay three white white to flip it up. And it says when Corona's Zealot is turned face up, all damage that would be dealt to it this turn is dealt to target creature instead. So I'm not as excited about this as you are. I give this a C minus. I give this a B minus. I'm pretty excited about this card. Talk to me why you're down on it. I think that this is a bit much. Like, I think once you get to... So they've. It's, we should note, talking about the morphs, is that they've done... They've put the rule that they did in Cons of Tarkir, where that if uh, if a creature can blow out another creature in combat, meaning like it could flip up into something bigger than a 2-2, it has to cost uh, have a morph cost of 5 or more. So when you get to the morph cost of five, like when an opponent has a morph in play and they pass with five mana up, your alarm bells are going to go off because now they're in the territory of being able to trade up, or not trade up, but to be able to to blow you out, essentially, to eat your your smaller creatures. So I just feel like this is going to be a little easy to play around. Maybe not early, but I don't, I I feel like, you know, we're we're in divine verdict territory here. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So when I... I think I am going to revise my grade a little bit. I think you're right. So when I was looking at this card, I was just thinking, oh, great. That's a two for one. Like, I'm going to get a creature on the battlefield, and I'm going to kill my one of my opponent's creatures. Yeah. That sounds awesome to me. But I think you're right. It's going to be fairly easy to play around because it requires, one, your opponent to attack into it, and two, you to have five open mana. Mm-hmm. Right? Which are not easy easy conditions to set up, as we've seen from Divine Verdict. So I think I, I still think this card's good, but maybe not B minus. I'm going to go down to C plus. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, I will play this, and I don't think, I don't imagine cutting this from many white decks, I don't think, but it's not, like, pulling me into white, like, I just think it's it's not as exciting as it may seem. It definitely looks very flashy and looks very, like, oh, I'm gonna get that two-for-one, but I think it, it requires your opponent to really walk into it blindfolded, basically. 
Yeah, I think you're 100% right. I think I had a little best-case scenario mentality there. <laughs> and I do know that's my weakness when I'm evaluating <laughs> cards. Uh, I think that's why I'm a good teacher, though. You know, I just want to see the best in people. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Ordeal of Heliod. One and a white for the enchantment. This is enchant creature. This is from the Theros block. So if you just played that Theros flashback, this is going to look familiar. When enchanted creature attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Then if it has three or more plus one, plus one counters on it, sacrifice Ordeal of Heliod. When you sacrifice Ordeal of Heliod, you gain 10 life. So these can snowball pretty quickly if you land them on an early aggressive creature. You gave this a D plus. I gave this a C. The removal is so good in this format, Ben. It really is. Aren't you just going to get two for one so often? Probably, yeah. Especially because, like, the benefit of previous, or the benefit of this card in Theros block was, like, sometimes you could trigger heroic, and that would give the creature a plus one plus one counter, right? Like, so you wouldn't have to get in with three attacks with this. Maybe you'd only need to get in with two, or sometimes only one, for it to pop off and gain you the ten life. Yeah, yeah, you're you're just right, I think. <laughs> Again, I told you, like, I announced it at the beginning of the show, people. I'm just gonna be agreeing with Ethan. He's great. Okay. The removal's a lot better than it was in the Theros block, and there's a lack of heroic. Uh, there's, like, gods willing in the set, but I, th- I assume there's more powerful things to do in this set than suit up a thing with Ordeal of Heliod and Prey. Yeah, I, it also, I'm so curious because there is a good bit of life, there's like, you know, there's like, we talked about the cards that have life gain on them, this being one of them. There aren't any payoffs. We think back to Iconic Masters, there was like a black-white life gain matters deck. I wish there was something here for that, but there doesn't really seem to be that. So I don't see the benefit of ordeal. It doesn't feel like it's worth the effort to gain that 10 life. I agree. I think I got you on this next one, though. Okay, I, I'm excited to hear about this. So we've got Promise of Bunray. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. This is two and a white for an enchantment. When a creature you control dies, sacrifice Promise of Bunray. If you do, create four 1-1 one, one colorless spirit creature tokens. They are colorless spirit creature tokens. They do not have flying. Do not have flying. I'm aware. Okay. So you gave this a C minus. I gave this... No, you gave this a D. I gave this a C plus. I think that's our biggest difference. That's a pretty big gap. So there's a tokens deck in the format that we're going to get into, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. And so four separate bodies is a big deal, and especially all entering the battlefield at the same time, if you can get lucky enough to trigger this yourself, uh, maybe through a sacrifice outlet or something like that. But I think the main card that this is going to combine with is an enchantment that's pretty sweet called Valor in Akros. Three and a white. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So if you can find a sacrifice outlet for a creature with Valor and Akros in play, you're going to be giving all creatures you control plus four, plus four, which is huge. There's also some other cards that synergize well with this that we'll get into a little later, but the one that springs to mind is Echoing Courage. Uh, it's a green, one and a green for an instant. Uh, target creature gets plus two, plus two. And then all creature types that share a name with it gets plus two, plus two as well. So turning your four one ones into four three threes is a pretty big game. I think this card just has enough synergy throughout the format that it's really going to prove to be a player. Yeah, you could be right. You're also describing some magical Christmas lands here. <laughs> You're talking about playing a three mana enchantment that does nothing into a four mana enchantment that does nothing. That then you need to have some way to trigger trigger a creature dying to get your four one ones, and then you have to have other creatures in play to benefit all your creatures getting plus four plus four until end of turn. 
That's a lot you're asking. Do you hear this guy? Just negative Nancy. <laughs> complain, complain, complain. Where are the dreamers? Where have the dreamers gone? I'm just, try- I'm just trying to keep your glass half empty, Ben. That's all I'm trying to do. I- I'm not coming down on this one. I think this card has promise. Even okay. even not in the magical Christmas land scenarios, I think the four bodies are going to be relevant enough. There's also a lot of pump effects. Even if you're not going off insanely, I think just having four separate bodies, there are going to be a lot of ways to take advantage of that in the format. I think you're probably right. I think... I could get down with you giving it like a synergy C+, because I don't think you can just jam this in any white deck. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I I think you maybe need to like have a token theme or have a way to reliably kill one of your creatures, have a way to abuse the fact that you have 411, something like that. Like, I just don't think you can be like, cool, I'm taking this and I'm putting this in my deck because I'm white. I think that's where I'm going to land on it. I'll buy it. All right. uh, The last one. What do we want to talk about here? Urbis Protector, it looks like. Four white white for a 1-1 human cleric. When it enters the battlefield, create a 4-4 white angel creature token with flying. Uh, I give this a B. You gave it a C. Yeah. I think this is a little expensive. It is a little expensive. Uh, I'm thinking a synergy B again here, I guess, although I didn't notate that. There's a lot of ways to pick up creatures in the format. Mm. Uh, There's ways to blink things. I just think enter the battlefield triggers that are good are going to be really good. And I think this is a really strong enter the battlefield trigger. I'm I'm maybe a little high. Maybe it's a B minus, but I think I like it at B minus. But you, you think it's a pull into white for you? Yes, I think this makes me want to move into a white deck that's trying to blink things. Yeah, because there is, I mean, so there's, we're talking about blinking, so there's Cloud Shift at, at Common, we'll get into this in our synergies, but I think it's worth talking about here. There's Cloud Shift, which is a single white for an instant that basically blink a creature you control, you exile a creature you control, and then return it to the battlefield under your control. So that would be sweet with Urbis Protector to make another 4-4. And there's also White Main Lion, which is one and a white for a 2-2 creature with Flash. When it enters the battlefield, you may return... Oh, no, not you may return. You do return a creature you control to its owner's hand. So you get to pick that up and then recast it again to make another 4-4. So yeah, that that's true. I, I, I could get down with that. And, there, and the fact that there's those two in the color that Urbis Protector is at common, I can get down with B- on Urbis Protector. All right. All right, let's go through our top commons and uncommons here for white before we move on to our next color. So at number three, my number three common for white is Geist of the Moors. This is one white white for a 3-1 creature with flying. Yeah, I was torn between that and what I ended up settling on as the number three top white common. I picked Dauntless Cathar. That's the same mana cost, two and a white for a 3-2 human soldier, uh, and has the ability one and a white, exile Dauntless Cathar from your graveyard, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying, activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. So 3-2, that gives you a little bit of value there. And I believe both of those were downshifted. I know Geist of the Moors wasn't uncommon when it was printed. Dauntless Cathar, I think, was a common. Was a common? Yeah, mm-hmm. It was very good. But my number two, we've got our, our ones and our twos swapped here. My number two is Path of Peace. This is three and a white for a sorcery. Destroy target creature. Its owner gains four life. And then pacifism, you have it number one. I have it number two. Classic one and a white target creature can't attack or block. So I've got Path of Peace at number one. So talk to me about that. Because, you know, from our discussion of how removal matches up with creatures, pacifism gives you that, like, good trade on mana, whereas Path of Peace doesn't necessarily. Right, but I think one other thing we noted is that there's also a lot of utility creatures in the set, hmm. and pacifism doesn't do anything against those utility creatures, and I've I've even felt that in Rivals of Ixalan, to where, you know, I really want to get my opponent's Legion Lieutenant off the battlefield, and I can't yeah. with my Luminous Bonds. So I think 
wall pacifism is great i think it's going to be interesting to see how these shake out there's also minor synergy with path of peace with making your opponent gain life there's a couple cards that pay you off for doing that Mm -hmm. Um, but i think there's just a lot of cards that have effects that are very good and i think a removal spell that just gets something off the table is going to be a lot cleaner of an answer and is maybe going to be worth paying two more mana than for pacifism. This may end up being the thing where, like, you want the first path of peace, but then you want the first pacifism before you want the second path of peace kind of thing. I could certainly see that being it. Yeah, that you, you, you may have talked me into to switching these two. All right, and we are in full agreement here for our uncommons. Uh, we had Fiend Hunter at number two. This cracked our top five removal spells, as you will remember. This is the one white, white, one three that uh, Oblivion rings a creature and, until it leaves the battlefield. And then at number one, we've got Swords to Plowshears, the white mana instant speed, exile target creature, and that creature's controller gains life equal to its power. Not much to discuss there. Moving on to blue, where I think we have the most to discuss. Ooh, I'm psyched about this. We're going to start off with a classic here. Counterspell is at common. That's blue, blue for the instant counter target spell. Beautiful three words there. I gave this card a B minus. I gave it a C. Yeah, so this is one of our, our biggest differences. We can, I think we can, we can spoil it here. This, this is my top, I have this peg as, as the top blue common, and this didn't even crack your top blue commons. Is that right? Didn't crack my top blue commons, no. All right, so you talk to me about why you're down on Counterspell here. So Counterspell is essentially cancel for one less mana. So, and I think cancel's fine in limited, and I don't think making it one mana cheaper makes it that much better. I'd be happy main decking Counterspell, but it doesn't make me want to play blue. Blue blue is a very prohibitive mana cost, and leaving up blue blue is a very real cost. Two mana is still a lot to leave up. Yes, you might you have the upside of like being able to nab their two drop or their three drop and not fall behind with a Counterspell, but I don't think it does enough in limited that it pulls me into blue. Like I'll play it in my blue decks, but I'm not thrilled about it. So here's my argument. For mm-hmm. counterspell to bring you up on it, this set more we were talking about this this that more like more than other master sets feels like cube. It's not synergy driven so much as it is like you decide how you're going to build your deck as you draft and what sort of like card interactions you're going to be able to get maximum value from. In cube, the two mana counterspells are great, and counterspells become better in multiples. I think. In cube, that's how I sort of think about them. That like the more counter spells I have, the better my deck becomes. I think. I think they just get better in multiples as you're able to like consistently be able to to pass with mana up and and combine them with other instants that exist in, in blue or whatever your color pair is. The other thing I'm gonna say is that counter spell was a common in what was it Vintage Masters, which they just re-released back in December that we both played a bit of. Uh-huh. And counter spell was a fantastic common. In that set. Now that set was a bit more spell driven because it was, you know, only cards and vintage and there's not a lot of great creatures back then and they're sort of clunky. But Counterspell was, I think, very, very good in that set. And I am pretty sure that it's going to be very, very good in this set. Interesting. I I just don't feel that way. And I think another thing that hurts Counterspell is the best card draw is sorcery speed, not instant speed. So in blue, I think the best source of card advantage is Sift. That's three Mm -hmm. in a blue for a sorcery, draw three cards, then discard a card. You can't afford to like tap out for Sift. Like it would be great if Sift was an instant. Then I'd be a lot more likely to want to value Counterspell. So the only instant speed card draw there is is Accumulated Knowledge, which is one of blue for an instant draw card, then draw cards equal to the number of cards named Accumulative Knowledge in all graveyards. So the first one you can trip, the second one you draw to, the third one if you get to live the dream, you get to ancestral recall for two mana that's not a great card to have in your deck so i think you're going to struggle to get card advantage if your plan is to trade one for one with counter spells 
You know what Counterspell is also really good with? Is Morphs. Yeah, that's fair. Pass with your mana up. They don't do anything you want to do. You get to unmorph your creature. If not, you get to Counterspell their thing. I, I don't know. I'm gonna. We'll, we'll see how it shakes out. But I'm excited about Counterspell at Common, and I think it's going to be uh, a powerful card. That's really interesting. We'll have to check in on it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what do we got next? Next up, we've got Mystic of the Hidden Way. This is four and a blue for a 3-2 human monk, and Mystic of the Hidden Way cannot be blocked, and it's got a morph cost of two and a blue. So you can pay it for three mana, 2-2, two, two, and then if you pay two and a blue, you get to turn it face up and have it be unblockable. I gave this a D plus. You gave it a C plus. So my memory of this card from Cons of Tarkir was that it was very good. That's interesting. My memory of from, from Cons of Tarkir was that it was kind of mediocre. This is a win condition at common. I think this is like, it, it's got two sides that are good, a three mana two two, as we talked about, a gray ogre is fine. And then when you flip this up, this is a real clock. Your opponent has to kill it. You're going to have to trade a removal spell for this, or you're going to die to it. Yeah, but it's so clunky. You're spending six mana to get your three two. Like even the, the three and a blue for the three two unblockable merfolk where you bounce a creature. I think this is a similar amount of clunky to that. Maybe not quite as clunky, but I don't think you're going to be needing to go out of your way to pick this up if you want it in your deck. Mm, yeah, I don't even think every deck's going to want it necessarily. I don't know. I don't know how. Well, I have no idea, but I don't know how many times you're cutting this from your blue deck. We'll have to see. I, I might bring it down to C. Maybe C plus is too high. I'm going to change my grade to C, but I think this card is still pretty good. Okay. Next up, I, we barely need to talk about this. This is Phantasmal Bear. Single blue for a 2-2 bear illusion. When it becomes the target of a spell or ability, you sacrifice it. I don't know what I was thinking. I gave this a C minus. I, maybe I was excited about like some sort of aggro deck in blue, but it just doesn't seem like it exists. No, I gave this a D minus. I, I think this card's not good. I think there are ways to target it in the set for not loss of value. I just think it's not what you want to be doing. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm down with, to D minus with you. All right, we got to talk about your girl here. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about this card. <laughs> this well, is Jalira, Master Polymorphist. Three and a blue for a 2-2 legendary human wizard, and she's got the ability two and a blue, tap, sacrifice another creature, reveal <laughs> cards from the top of your library. Why are you laughing? That's a great ability. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm just remembering. You should finish reading what the card does, and then I'll tell you why I'm laughing. Okay. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-legendary creature card. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Yeah, so we were going over the show notes before we recorded, and we got on this card and Counterspell, because blue is where we had the most differences. And I was like, did you play with this? You remember this card in the set it was originally printed? And Ben was like, no, what set was it in? And it's in some M, M set. I guess, oh, it's it's in the watermark. M15 is where it was printed. And it was not good in that format. And I want you to tell me why you're so excited about this card. It's going to be great here. We're going to make it great again. Not true. Not, you can't be great again because it was never great. I'm sure it was great and you're just misremembering. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So I gave this card, this is by far our biggest difference. Ethan gave this card a D. I gave it a B minus. I think sacrifice outlets are good and there are threatened effects in the format. A threatened effect, right? Or there is a, 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 two, a two. Two, two threatened effects. Yeah, but one good threatened effect yeah. where you take your opponent's creature and then you get to use it for the turn and then you give it back to them. So you could potentially set up shenanigans where you sacrifice your opponent's creature and get your own creature out of the deck with Jalira. If you're holding up two and a blue, it turns off essentially removal from your opponent. So if they target your creature that's going to die, you can tap Jalira, sacrifice the creature, get a new creature. There's a lot of token things going on in the set. So you can sacrifice tokens and upgrade them into bigger creatures. 
there's gigantic morphs in the set where like you can play more big clunky cards than you would be able to normally and if you hit a morph with Jalira, you're getting to play your giant fat creature for way cheaper i just think there's like tons and tons and tons of upside with this card and i am so psyched to go off with it oh my god this is a four <laughs> mana this is a four mana two two which is embarrassing in this set like and your your argument of like they it all their removal if you hold up three mana they're just gonna kill Jalira and they're gonna kill it with like a two mana spell, but that's really sad and <laughs> like it can't do it to itself like if if it could sacrifice itself I could see it but it can't so it's just gonna be a giant lightning rod for your opponent's removal and in the event that you can do some shenanigans with it, you're not even guaranteed to get anything good. It's random. So, like, you sacrifice something. Let's say you have, you live the dream and you get to... You could even sacrifice something under a pacifism. <laughs> you're not even guaranteed to get something good. Like, you might just get something that's irrelevant on the board. You probably hate lottery tickets, too, don't you? I do hate lottery tickets. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> but I'm, I don't know. This card... I just love the idea of this card. I agree. It's a sweet card. It's just not good. <laughs> I'm on a 3-0 with Jaleera in my deck. Okay. I accept that challenge. <laughs> and then I'm going to tweet it at you. Great. <laughs> and Great. please, everyone that's listening to the podcast right now, just pile on on Twitter. When it happens. <laughs> yeah, any 3-0 lists with Jaleera. I want, I want those board states. I want those best case scenario screenshots of Jaleera going off. Okay, so maybe like realistically C? Can we meet in the middle? I, I'm not meeting you in the middle. I'm I'm staying in the D's and maybe D plus, but I'm I'm staying in the D's. This card, I do not think you should be putting this card in your deck. Okay, I'm gonna go C plus C C C plus. <sighs> All right, let's uh let's get to those top commons and uncommons. I can't wait for Jaleer to be your best uncommon. Uh, she didn't crack my uncommon. <laughs> All right, so I have Sift as my third best blue common. This is we talked about this. The card draw spell three and a blue for a sorcery speed. Draw three cards, then discard a card. I also have that as my number three. My number two is Ghost Ship. Two blue blue for the two four creature with flying and regenerate blue blue blue. Yeah, that card is really good. I have Mana War at number two. This is two and a blue for the two two jellyfish that enters the battlefield and bounces a creature. I've got that as my number one. And I have Counterspell as my number one. So we'll, yeah. we'll definitely have to see how Counterspell shakes out there because I could definitely see have to, having to rejigger my top three there if I'm wrong about Counterspell. Yeah, that'll be a good one to keep an eye on. In Uncommons, we're both in total agreement. Number two, Merfolk Looter. That's one and a blue for the 1-1 one, one tap to draw a card, then discard a card. Always loot. And Murder of Crows, three blue blue for the 4-4 four, four flying. Whenever another creature dies, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. card. That card is absurdly good. I'm excited to play with that again. Yeah, Air Elemental with Upside. All right, Black, we don't have much to discuss here. Uh, the first up is Dirge of Dread. That's two and a black for the sorcery. All creatures gain fear until end of turn. And it has cycling for one and a black. And it says when you cycle Dirge of Dread, you may have target creature gain fear until end of turn. So for those who don't know, fear uh, says that the creature can't be blocked except by black creatures and or artifact creatures. Yeah, so you gave this a D, I gave this a C+. Plus. Mm -hmm. I might be a little high at C+, plus, but I think it's better than a D. So the fact that you get a, an incremental amount of value when you cycle it, you're going to be able to get in a creature for some amount of damage, presumably. Mm -hmm. And unless you're playing against a black deck, when you cast this, like it's a falter effect that's probably winning you the game. So I think like that powerful of an effect on a card with cycling is just good. 
Yeah, I guess I didn't. So my my follow up question to you was going to be, why is this so different from choking tethers? So choking tethers is uh, the the blue sort of version of this, which uh, has cycling for one and a blue. And when you cast choking tethers for four, you can tap four creatures at instant speed. Uh, and when you cycle it for one and a blue, you just get to tap one creature. So you gave that a D. This isn't much different from that, right? No, you're right. It's not. So I, I probably am high at C plus. Maybe it's like a C. Maybe they're both like C minus D plus type cards. Yeah, I think maybe they're both C minuses. That seems fine to me. I, I didn't quite clock that like you can cycle this when it's not good and then it's just going to win you the game when it is good. And having a card like that, that's a flip co- or like a, a dual card. Basically, it has like two modes is pretty powerful. Yep. That seems fine. Getting it up to C minus range seems good to me. All right, next up, we've got Unearth. This is single black for a sorcery. Return target card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it's got cycling two. Yeah, I gave this a C. I gave it a D. I think this card is good. I mean, I think for the similar reasons of what we were just talking about with Dirge of Dread, like either you're going to pay two to draw a card and replace like when, when you don't need this card, or you're going to be getting equal or trading up on mana. Like being able to pay one mana to get a three drop back from your graveyard to the battlefield is pretty strong. Yeah, I guess I'm wondering how relevant three drops are going to be at that point in the game by the time they've already died. But if you've got relevant three drops, certainly could be good. I mean, I, and I'll, what I would say to you is, I think what we we're sort of dis- discovering or that we are hinting at in this crash course is that a lot of those two and three drop creatures are utility creatures. So they're going to be like, like getting back a merfolk looter because they're going to want to kill that. You know, I, I think there are going to be some, some two and three drops and one drops that, that you may want to just get back because not because they're, you know, efficient beaters, but because they have relevant abilities. I think you're right about that. I think I would go up to C minus on this. Cool. Uh, we got one more here at Uncommon. This is Undead Gladiator. It's one black black for a 3-1. It has one and a black, discard a card, return Undead Gladiator from your graveyard to your hand, activate this ability only during your upkeep, and it has cycling for one and a black. So I gave this a D, you gave this a C. Mm-hmm. When I'm looking at this, I think one black black for a 3-1 is terrible. That's like overpaying for a raptor companion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think like the upside of like discard it like so you can the trick with this card is you could cycle it to get a new card and then it's in your graveyard and then you can buy it back later in the game and pitch a land. But that seems like a horribly clunky way to try to like loot. It's basically four four mana to loot. Yes. That yeah. seems not good to me. Maybe that's just terrible. <laughs> that, maybe that's... maybe it's just terrible. You're right. Okay, let's uh let's go down to D plus. Alright. Yeah, that's fair. That didn't take much. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Alright, top black commons. Number three, I've got Ruthless Ripper, which is a single black for a one one human assassin with death touch. Uh, it has a morph cost. There's a couple cards here, this is one of them, that the morph cost is not a mana cost, but a reveal a black card in your hand. Uh, and when Ruthless Ripper is turned face up, a target player loses two life. I think Typhoid Rats is just good, and being able to like morph and surprise to kill a thing and even make them lose two life, it's all upside. I remember this card being quite strong. 
Yeah, cards very good. I think there's a lot of cards that maybe could take over the the number three slot at black. I I picked a different one. I picked Phyrexian Ghoul. It's two and a black for a two two, and has the ability to sacrifice a creature, and it gets plus two plus two until end of turn. And here's why I did Phyrexian Ghoul over Ruth, and I'm gonna see if I can talk you into it. I think Ruth is just a fine card on her own, mm-hmm. but doesn't have any particular synergy in the format. And I think Phyrexian Ghoul is gonna be the linchpin of one of the main like combo decks in the format. And I think there's a lot of value that you can get out of a free sacrifice outlet like that so i think the fact that it enables a whole deck is gonna give it the nudge over ruthless ripper yep you got me easy phyrexian goal is my three so and what we're talking about there there's a threaten effect is it actual threaten that's in the no it's active treason active treason so that is two in a red gain control of target creature until end of turn untap that creature it gains haste until end of turn so you steal your opponent's creature with active treason and then you sacrifice it with phyrexian ghoul you get in a big hit with a 4-4 and your opponent's out their creature and that's like traditionally black red has had that like combination in a lot of the core sets there's also a card at uncommon in black zulaport cutthroat which is one in a black for a 1-1 uh, whenever a creature you control dies your opponent loses a life and you gain a life um, so if you get to combine that with like a sacrifice outlet and maybe some tokens or even like stealing your opponent's stuff like we talked about like there you're right there is a lot of synergies with phyrexian ghoul in the format so i, I like that as the third common Number two, we've got the same one here. This is Disfigure, single black, instant. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Just super efficient. Can also be used as a combat trick to take down bigger stuff. And as we noted, the average power and toughness in the set is two, two. So going to kill most things. And there's a lot of good, cheap utility creatures that you're going to want to pick off. Absolutely. And number one, no surprise, murder. One black, black for the instant destroy target creature. On to the uncommons, number two and one. We've got the same ones here. Number two, Fallen Angel. I love this card from when I was a kid. Three black black for a three three angel. And it has the ability, it has flying and sacrifice a creature to give it plus two plus one until end of turn. So we've already seen that flying is a commodity in the set. So this swinging in, sacrificing two or three creatures for a huge hit to kill your opponent out of nowhere is definitely a thing. Yeah, threat of activation on this card is real tricky. <laughs> like this is going to be tough to take down in combat without just like a removal spell to get rid of it cleanly. And another free sacrifice outlet for the the Active Treason deck. Exactly. And number one, Ravenous Chupacabra. That's the two black, black, two, two. Enters the battlefield, destroys a creature. Yeah. All right, what red cards do we want to discuss here? We've only got one. I am so excited to talk to you about this card. (laughs) (laughs) I love this card. I had to restrain myself when I was grading it. So Browbeat is, uh, this is what we call Punisher cards. Uh, This is two and a red for a sorcery, and your opponent gets to choose one of these effects. Either they take five damage, or you draw three cards. You gave this a D, I gave this a C, and I had to try so hard (laughs) to not give it better than a C. I wanted to really give this like a B minus or a B. Why? I have such fond memories from when I was a kid. I had a red burn deck, and Browbeat's so good in a focused, aggressive deck, because both things are good for you. And yeah, you're going to get the worst of the two of you at the time, but in a red deck, if their life total is low and you're drawing three cards, you're probably going to find a way to kill them in those three cards. So it just felt like they were losing no matter what when you cast Browbeat. I just remember loving this card. So real talk, because you're not wrong like this, you know, if you could have four of these in a constructed deck, like a focused burn deck, it might be good. Like, do you think that there's that deck available in this format? Uh, I think red looks really aggressive. Yeah. And you're you're going to be able to draft multiple browbeats. I don't think it's unrealistic that you could get like three, four, maybe. It's a common. No, it's uncommon. Is it uncommon? Yeah. It's uncommon. You'll be able to get three, four, <laughs> five. Easy. 
yeah, I don't know if you will. <laughs> I, yeah, and I just, I'm not sure how aggressive this format is. Because there's not really, like, burn. Like, can, can Kindle go to the face? Kindle can go to the face. Lightning Bolt can go to the face. Cinderstorm, six and a red for a sorcery. Deals oh, seven damage to target creature or player. Exactly what you want in your burn deck. Come on. Goes to the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seven drops are exactly what you want in the burn deck. Yeah, I mean, and there there are, there's Jackal Pup, there's one drops at common. There's Chandra's Outrage. There might be a mono red deck if, if red's open. There might be a mono red deck. Frenzied Goblin, I, I, I could see it. All right, uh, we'll be on the lookout. I, I gave Browbeat a D. I gave it a C. I think it's probably like a D plus. I could C-. really see myself never casting this in this format. Oh, I'm going to be trying to cast it for sure, if for nothing other than nostalgia value. Great. All right, uh, what was your number three common in red? Number three common, uh, I'm going to try to talk you up here as well. Okay. Hordling Outburst, this is one red red for the sorcery. Make three one one goblin tokens. Okay, I gave my number three spot to Balduvian Horde. This is two red red for a five five. When it enters the battlefield, you sacrifice it unless you discard a card at random. Oh snap, you know what I just realized? What? This isn't whatever, Brawling Minotaur. Because you have to have a card to discard. Yes. You can't play this with zero cards in your hand. You cannot. Oh, that's way worse. Oh, that's way worse. Yeah. So I, I almost gave my, my number three slot to Baldubian Horde. This is downshifted from rare. This was yeah. a rare in alliances from when I was a kid. And I remember having my Baldubian Horde like plastic sleeved up in a hard case. Like I was so proud of my Baldubian Horde. And I just don't think it's going to pull its weight here, which is sad. Because yeah. the removal the removal is so good. I just think you're going to get two for one. If it had trample or something, I could maybe see it. But just a 5-5 five, five vanilla, I don't think is going to get the job done in a set that's this high-powered. But And even, let's say, even they don't have a clean removal spell, like, if you trade with, like, a 2-2 two, two, and a 3-3 three, three in combat, that's fine. That's a 2 for 2. Yeah. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I, I think you're right. This card might not be great. So, and I, I do think Hordling Outburst is going to be great. Similar to Phyrexian Ghoul, I think there's... We're going to talk about this more in detail in a little bit, but there are tokens strategies and having the ability to make three one ones before combat. You know, we already talked about that white enchantment that pumps plus one plus one. Yeah. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield that synergizes very well with that. There's trumpet blast in the set two in a red attacking creatures get plus two plus oh. I just think this is going to be a really strong progenitor of an archetype in the format. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think I've been thinking about like, you know, I'm like, this set is like cube. Hordling Outburst isn't that great in cube. But, like, Hordling Outburst was great in Cons of Tarkir, and it was uncommon there. And this is common, so you're going to get be able to get multiples of these and abuse it with the things you said. It's really good with the um, Phyrexian Ghoul, because it gives it three bodies to chomp on, or or whatever, Fallen Angel, more like three bodies again to sacrifice. Yeah, and with that Zulaport Cutthroat, you're draining three times. Yeah, ooh, I want this Black-Red Sacrifice deck to be good so know. bad. Okay, never mind, <laughs> Hordling Outburst, you got me, you got me. Yes! Okay. All right. Chandra's Outrage at number two. We're the same here. This is two red red for the instant. Uh, Chandra's Outrage deals four damage to target creature and two damage to that creature's controller. And number one, we've got Kindle. This is one and a red for the instant. It deals X damage to target creature or player, where X is two plus the number of cards named Kindle in all graveyards. So we talked about uh, accumulated knowledge is the blue version of this that, that cares about the number of cards named accumulated knowledge in all graveyards. So it's not only you, but your opponent's graveyard as well. So if they're playing Kindles or accumulated knowledges, it's going to count both. Just remember that. 
Yeah, uncommons at number two. I've got Pyroclasm. That's one and a red uh, for the sorcery deal two damage to each creature. I think this token's menace is going to be pretty real, and Pyroclasm is one of the only ways to fight it along with Death's Head Buzzard. That's one black black for a 2-1 flyer that when it dies, all creatures get minus one, minus one until end of turn. So I think Pyroclasm is going to do some serious work uh, and is going to be a very good card. We saw the average power and toughness was two, similar to Rivals. This is close to Golden Demise, obviously not as good, but I think it's going to do some work. Yeah, I agree. I, I gave Spike Shot Goblin my number two, but this, this could be totally wrong. That's the two and a red for a one-two, and you can pay a red and tap it, and it deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player, and there are a number of ways to augment its power. There's some equipment that can do it. Um, certainly combat tricks can do it, and also just being able to ping things is going to be relevant, but it also is probably just going to have a huge target on its back as a three-mana one-two utility creature that dies to most removal in the set. I don't think you're wrong. I was I was torn between that and Pyroclasm. I took a flyer on Pyroclasm. Yeah. Uh, and number one, as a surprise to no one, we've got Lightning Bolt as the best uncommon in red. Moving on to green, what do we got to talk about here? I think only one card here that we really differed on, uh, and that's going to be Fierce Empath. So this is two and a green for a 1-1. One, one. This is sort of like Imperial Recruiter. Uh, it's a variant on that. Um, when it, Fierce Empath enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost 6 or greater reveal it put it into your hand then shuffle your library yeah i'm excited to talk to you about this card you give it a c minus i gave it a b minus so here's here's why i think this card's going to be good we saw in rivals of ixalan how good the forerunners are like being able to search up your rare specifically the dinosaur forerunner there's a lot of good rare dinosaurs Mm -hmm. this set is packed jam full of powerful bomb rares and i think the ability to go tutor up your individually powerful bomb rare is really strong and is worth getting pulled into a color for as you're talking about this you know the thing that i'm like looking at and realizing what's that is that it's so good with morphs it is like you're just even if you don't get a bomb you can just go grab woolly loxodon which is five green green for a six seven morph like so you just go get a big dumb thing and then you just cast it for three next turn if that's your like worst case scenario that's still probably pretty good and they're gonna know they're gonna know the morph is coming because you have to reveal it but still yeah, I think you're right. The fact, and this is also splashable. Yeah, it's just a tutor effect in limited for what look to be powerful cards. And being able to go search up your powerful card is really strong. Yeah, you're right. B minus. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. Top commons in green. Number three. I'm excited about this little difference here. So I gave my number three spot to Kavu Climber. So it's three green green for a three three. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. Yeah, the card's rock solid. I don't have any problem with that card. I think it's a little expensive and a little not good enough at attacking. It is a value and there's ways to blink. We've seen all that stuff. I'm just not sure it does quite enough. Yeah, that's fair. I think, well, what's your number three? My number three is Cultivate, two and a green for the sorcery. Uh, Search up two lands, put one of them onto the battlefield, tap one of them into your hand. I think this is going to be a really hotly contested card for some sort of a five-color green-based deck that I think Mm -hmm. is going to be really strong in the format. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. If that that five-color green deck does exist, certainly Cultivate is going to be number three. Um, I just think Kavu Climber is, like, really good value. It's it's rock solid, yeah. yeah. Rock solid two for one. No no complaints against that card. Number two, I've got Arbor Elf. That's a single green for a 1-1, one, one, and you can tap it to untap target forest. Yeah, combines well with Caustic Tar, which is four black black for an enchantment. You can tap target land to have an opponent lose three life. So you can start draining for six a turn if you put that Caustic Tar on a forest with your Arbor Elf. It also combines really well with Utopia Sprawl, 
the single green mana enchant forest so that like then has that land tap for uh, another land of your or another color of your choosing so then arbor elf suddenly is ramping you two lands when you untap your land that has utopia sprawl on it oh yeah we're getting into cube territory ramp there i know that's that's i've been doing that in cube this week i love it what's number one number one we've both got epic confrontation this is one and a green for the sorcery target creature you control gets plus one plus two until end of turn and it fights target creature you don't control yeah that is good two mana for a fight spell that augments power and toughness is strong what about uncommons uncommons my number two slot i've got imawari of the open fist this is two green green for a five five legendary creature with trample when it enters the battlefield each opponent may put a legendary creature card from his or her hand onto the battlefield now you may be asking yourself well how many legendary creatures are there in the format and we've done that work for you there are none at common there are only six at uncommon and really only three of those are any good so you don't really have to worry about this a lot and how many are there at rare yeah, there are 15 of, of those legendary creatures at rare, and those are good rares. Like You, yeah. might, be, you might be losing <laughs> if your opponent puts one of those onto the battlefield, but I think the upside is real enough that until you know they've got them, you're supposed to play this card. So would you, like, let's say you see a legendary creature, or God forbid you get punished, and they just put it into play when you cast this. Are you then siding this out? I think so. Yeah, but until then, this card is just so good. Like, most of the time you're not going to get punished and you're going to be putting a gigantic threat on the board for pretty cheap. Yeah, the fact that it's got trample is what pushes us over the top, I think. 5-5 trample for 4 is a big beater and cannot be chumped. Yeah. I put Rancor as my number 2, but I might actually now have Fierce Empath there. I'm not sure, but I think Rancor is going to do a lot of work. This is like sort of the exception to the, no, don't be just jamming enchantments everywhere. This is single green for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus two plus O and has trample. And when Rancor is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you return it to its owner's hand. This just like turns any creature into a threat that can't be chumped. Uh, It's also really good with token strategies, which green does have. And if you're pairing green with another color that cares about token strategies, like talking about Hordling Outburst, dropping this on one of the 1-1s, then that 1-1 dies, then you just re-rack it again for another 3-1 Trampler. Like that's going to be really, really strong, I think. Yeah, Ranker's gross and limited. I almost put it as my number two. I have Iwamori of the Open Fist as my number one green uncommon. And I've got Fierce Empath, the one that tutors a six drop, as my number one uncommon. Awesome. All right, so we're not going to talk about our grades for the the gold cards or the artifacts of the lands, but we did want to talk about some synergies. Well, really really quickly, I think the gold cards, I think it's worth noting that in, in previous sets, you know, Limited Resources always likes to talk about the fact that the gold cards are signposts for what the color pairs want to do i don't think that's true here at all they're they're great cards and they sort of do things that like each color pair is known for but they're not signposts towards decks and i don't think you should take them as such i think you should just look at them as face value and they kind of do what they say on the card yeah i think that's fair like probably cloud blazer might be an exception to that rule the blue white one but for the most part i think that's that's correct all right, so we wanted to talk about some synergies that exist in the set. As we said before, like we're not seeing that there's really like defined ideas about what archetypes are, are trying to do in this format, but there are a lot of really cool card combinations in the set that we wanted to talk about. And we sort of started hinting at, at one of these in our uh, review of the colors, and that was the black-red sacrifice deck. So what, what does that look like? 
There's kind of six cards here that you really want to be on the lookout for. The first of which is Act of Treason. That's two in a red for the sorcery. Gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap it. It gains haste and then give it back to your opponent at the beginning of the end step. Uh, That's how you're going to steal your opponent's creatures. And then the idea is that you take them and you sacrifice them to sacrifice effects on your side of the battlefield. So those sacrifice effects are Fallen Angel, the three black black for the three three flyer. Sacrifice a creature to give it plus two plus one until end of turn. And Phyrexian Ghoul, uh, the two and a black for the two two. And you can sacrifice creature to give it plus two plus two until end of turn and worth noting that like these kinds of synergies have existed before where the sacrifice outlets cost mana and have still been good so i have a feeling it's going to be extra good with two premium sacrifice outlets that you don't have to pay mana for yeah and there's another way to steal a creature that's a little bit clunkier uh this is enthralling victor three and a red for the three two human warrior when it enters the battlefield gain control of target creature and opponent controls with power two or less until end of turn untap that creature it gains haste until end of turn so you can steal a creature power two or less and sacrifice it with the enthralling victor and then there's a couple other like ways to take advantage of this sacrifice outlet stuff zulaport cutthroat uh, is sort of a utility creature one in a black for the one one human rogue ally when zulaport cutthroat or another creature you control dies each opponent loses one life and you gain one life so every time you sack a creature you're draining your opponent and that can add up in a hurry you don't even necessarily need to be sacking their creatures at a certain point in the game you can just sacrifice your team and get them that way and then also, they, they stack themselves. Like, if you have two Zulaport Cutthroats in play and you sack a creature, you're draining for two. Oh, God, yeah. That's not really a, a situation that, that seems too far-fetched with them being an uncommon. Yeah. As we saw with Browby, you're going to get three, four, five, six of all the uncommons. <laughs> he got me. He got me. <laughs> okay. And the last card here, this is just like a minor bit of value. This is Humble Defector, one in a red for the 2-1 Human Rogue. You can tap to draw two cards and target opponent gains control of Humble Defector activate this ability only during your turn so the idea is that you tap your humble defector to draw two cards and then you sacrifice it so that your opponent doesn't get to take take control of it yeah that can also combo with the the blink effect in the the set as well you can like go to tap humble defector and then cloud shift it and draw the cards and then it returns to play under your control i think there's that 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 card is is quite abusable in the set but that black rat sacrifice deck looks fun i'm really looking forward to drafting that deck this next thing looks super sweet to me too as soon as i realized you could do it What's this? Okay, so there are a few things that care about the ability of untapping creatures. So first and foremost is Horseshoe Crab, which is two and a blue for a one three. And it has the ability single blue untap Horseshoe Crab. So you can do it as many times as you want for a single blue mana, or each iteration costs one blue mana. You, you understand what I mean. Uh, and that looks pretty bad at face value, as well as these other things, but we're going to see that there are some cards that combo with it that require you to tap. So the other two uh, ways to untap creatures, we've got Nettle Sentinel. This is a single green for a 2-2 Elf Warrior. Uh, Nettle Sentinel doesn't untap during your untap step, but whenever you cast a green spell, you may untap it. So you have the ability there to maybe abuse it, to untap it multiple times. And you have Free from the real which is an enchantment it's a two and a blue for an aura enchant creature and you can pay a single blue to tap enchanted creature or a single blue to untap enchanted creature now why would you want to do that okay well i think the biggest reason to do that is there is a gold uncommon in blue red called quicksilver dagger so this is one blue red for an aura enchanted creature gains tap deal one damage to target player draw a card Oh, yeah. So that's pretty gross if you think about that in combination with Horseshoe Crab. You just tap it, deal a damage, draw a card, pay a blue, untap it, deal a damage, draw a card. You don't need to do that 
many times. Like even if you do that a few times and then you, your opponent untaps and they go kill it, you've gotten some gross value out of that. And if that doesn't, if that goes unanswered for a turn, you're, you're done. Your opponent has lost the game. Retraction Helix is a single blue for an instant. It says until end of turn, target creature gains tap, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. So that basically turns your horseshoe crab into like unsummon or a boomerang effect for a single blue mana. So you just go bounce that thing for a blue or bounce that thing, tap, bounce that thing, pay a blue, untap horseshoe crab, tap, bounce that thing, pay a blue, untap it. You get it. Pretty gross. Uh, there's presence of Gond, which is two and a green for an aura that lets a creature tap to make a one, one token. Again, you get to just like poop those out for as many blue mana as you can pump into Horseshoe Crab. And Heavy Arbalist is an equipment for three mana. Equipped creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step, but equipped creature has tap deal two damage to target creature or player, and it has an equip cost of four. So the downside is with Heavy Arbalist is that you have to pay four mana to keep re-equipping it everywhere. But now with Horseshoe Crab, you just pay a single blue mana, untap it, and then keep dealing two damage to probably your opponent because they'll be dead pretty fast. So I think Horseshoe Crab is a real uh, synergy card in this format, and you're going to be looking to grab those in combination with some of these really cool tap engines that exist in the format. Yeah, it was really sweet. I first saw Horseshoe Crab and I was like, what is this card here for? And then the first time I saw one of these untap cards, I think the first one I saw was Retraction Helix. And I was like, oh, yes, we're doing it now. And I was immediately looking for others. (laughs) We're going to make an honorary achievement for the set of bouncing your opponent's board with Horseshoe Crab and Retraction Helix. Oh, yeah. Well, but it's not the whole board because you can't hit lands. Well, everything but lands. Their their side of the battlefield is going to be empty. Build your own Rivers Rebuke. All right, the next thing is sort of a a deck and a lot of synergy, and we've been hinting at this throughout the episode as well. Uh, This is sort of a green-white go-wide deck, and I think red's going to be in there a little bit as well, depending on your build. So certainly tokens are concentrated in Naya. And actually, maybe there's synergy with black, too, with Zulaport Cutthroat. I mean, they're going to have to block them. Yeah, I think you could be going like black-green tokens or black-white tokens also. Wow, this set's going to be so deep. I'm so so excited to draft this set. (laughs) Me too, man. So the first card here, there's several ways to pump tokens and generate tokens this is brood hatch nantuko one in a green for a one one insect druid when it's dealt damage you create that many one one green insect creature tokens and it's also got morph for two in a green so for that surprise value you can play it face down as a morph and then morph it up when they attack into it and boom pow you might make yourself five or six insect tokens because your opponent's not suspecting it so that's a way to generate a lot of tokens there next on the list Stampede Driver is single green for a 1-1 human spell shaper. One and a green tap, discard a card. Creatures you control gain plus one, plus one, and gain trample until end of turn. And that doesn't necessarily even need to go in a token strategy. Just threat of activation on that is going to be pretty real in complicating combat for your opponent, I think. Especially because there's a lot of big, dumb green creatures, period, that like really would love to have trample. Yeah, for sure. Ambassador Oak is a way to generate multiple bodies. This is three and a green for a three, three tree folk. When it enters the battlefield, create a one, one green elf warrior creature token. So two bodies there for four mana. Echoing Courage, this is one and a green for an instant. This is a way to pump your your tokens that have the same name. Target creature and all other creatures that share a name with it get plus two, plus two until end of turn. So if you've got a bunch of elf tokens running around, if you've got a bunch of spirit tokens running around, you can pump all of those plus two, plus two at the same time with your Echoing Courage. Presence of Gone, we just talked about this. This is two and a green for the Enchant Creature, and Enchanted Creature has tap, uh, create a 1-1 one, one green Elf Warrior Creature token. Even if you're not going off with an untap effect, just generating a 1-1 one, one every turn and then alphaing in with some way to pump your tokens is a good way to win a game of Magic. Kong Ming Sleeping Dragon, this is two white white for a legendary creature. It's a 2-2, two, two, and other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. 
and Valor in Akros. Uh, I think this is really going to be a true build around in the format. Uh, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. I think this is going to be a house in these tokens decks. And Squadron Hawk, a good way to generate multiple bodies. This is one and a white for the one, one flyer. And when it enters the battlefield, you can search up any other number of copies of Squadron Hawk. So sort of a Legion Conquistador that's a one, one flyer. And we all saw how powerful Legion Conquistador was in the last block. I think Squadron Hawk's going to be even better here. Because first of all, I think it's a better card and I think there's better ways to abuse it. And then the last one is the enchantment that I'm hyped on, and Ethan is not. Promise of, <laughs> Promise of Boonray. Uh, this is two and a white for the enchantment. Whenever a creature you control dies, sacrifice Promise of Boonray and generate four 1-1 spirit tokens. Yeah, so a lot of synergies of tokens in green and white. We talked about a few ways that red can maybe fit in there with Hordling Outburst, one red red, create three 1-1 one, one goblin tokens at sorcery speed, Trumpet Blast, Two in a red for the instant attacking creatures get plus two plus oh. Important safety tip, please cast Trumpet Blast in your combat step. We've made the mistakes for you. Don't don't follow in our footsteps. I have punted games so hard that way because you're like going to win the game and you just yeah. want to do it pre-combat to be extra careful to make sure right. you don't like miss it. And then it feels so bad when you mess it up. Don't do it until the creatures are attacking. Uh, and Goblin War Drums may be in a pinch. This is two in a red for the enchantment that says creatures you control have menace. Uh, so that can really add up if you've got a bunch of tokens. And God forbid they've been augmented in any way with an anthem effect of some sort. That's going to really put pressure on your opponent when you alpha strike. There is a minor synergy that we talked about earlier with life gain happening to your opponent. So when you grant life gain to your opponent, and this is really, I think there's only just one card in the set that, that cares about this, unless I missed one. It's Kavu Predator. So this is a one and a green for a 2-2 Kavu creature with trample. And it says, whenever an opponent gains life, put that many plus one plus one counters on Kavu Predator. Now, this, I think, really has like some cool synergies because i don't think a lot of people are going to want to pick this card up and if you can pair that with i think that the biggest one is going to be invigorate which is an obnoxious combat trick that exists so this is two and a green for an instant target creature gets plus four plus four until end of turn but if you control a forest which you probably do if you're in a green deck Rather than pay its mana cost, you can just have an opponent gain three life. So this in conjunction with Kabu Predator is going to give it plus seven, plus seven until end of turn. Three of that power and toughness being permanent. That's a pretty big game. We talked about two white removal spells earlier, Path of Peace. That's three and a white for the sorcery. Destroy target creature, its controller gains four life. And swords to plowshares. Exile target creature, its controller gains life equal to its power. Both of those I think are quite good just straight up. They're Ben's top uncommon and top common in white, respectively, and they're going to gain your opponent life, and that's going to also pump the Kavu Predator. So I think this card's probably going to be a bit of a sleeper at the start of the format, if I'm right about its synergies with the, the cards we just mentioned. And if your opponent happens to be running a, a white, blue, or black deck, they might just have some incidental life gain there as well that is going to punish them uh, with you having Kavu Predator in play. Agreed. That card's sweet. I'm interested to try some of those combos out. We've also got another single card here that combos with a lot of other cards. This is Aramancer. Two and a white for the 2-2. When Aramancer enters the battlefield, you can get an enchantment out of your graveyard and return it to your hand. So there's a number of enchantments uh, that may or may not be falling off. Ordeal of Heliod, we took a look at that one earlier. 
Uh, that's the card from Theros that puts a plus one, plus one counter on your creature each time it attacks. Once you get three, you sack it, gain 10 life. So you could potentially rebuy Ordeal of Heliod and takes away some of the risk of throwing that on a creature and getting two for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of good enchantment-based removal spells, pacifism, and also Pillory of the Sleepless. This is one white black for a, a pacifism effect that also deals one damage to your opponent on their turn. Uh, they're actively going to be trying to get that creature off the battlefield, and if they succeed, you can rebuy it with Auromancer and suit it back up on their creature curiosity this is similar to god what's that card from rivals i'm blanking curious Curious obsession Obsession. there we go name that card crushed me uh (laughs) this is not as good this is one in a blue and it does not pump it just whenever the creature deals combat damage to a player you draw a card quicksilver dagger we talked about that's the ping effect and draw a card there's just a lot of enchantments where you can get some value promise of Boonray. that's the one where you sack it and make four tokens rebuying that and getting another four tokens sounds pretty sweet vessel of nascency is in this set oh I didn't think about... I was only thinking about it with auras. I didn't think about it with permanent enchantments. Yeah. A vessel of nascency, you can sacrifice. Cost a single green mana. You can pay one and a green, sack it, and impulse for like a creature, a land, or an enchantment, I think. It can get back Nyx Fleece Ram. The one and a white O5 because it's an enchantment creature. That's such value. Because your oh, Nyx Fleece baby. Ram's going to be dying all the time. Oh, yeah. They got to get that off the board. That's gaining you one life every turn. Oh, I can't wait to build a little pillow fort deck with <laughs> Nyx Fleece Rams and... Oromancers, that's great. <laughs> uh, and there's another really interesting card that we we didn't discuss, and I think we had pretty different grades on this one. Did we? Yeah, I think so. This is Deadly Designs. Uh, this is one and a black for an enchantment. You can pay two to put a plot counter on Deadly Designs. Any player may activate this ability. And when there are five or more plot counters on Deadly Designs, sacrifice it. If you do, destroy up to two target creatures. That's certainly a powerful effect, and rebuying that sounds awesome. So I think Deadly Designs is going to be as good as the format is slow and dirtily. I think the more time you have to put mana into this, the better it's going to be. Yeah, that that is a pretty real mana sink, and one worth sinking mana into if you can. But uh, I don't know, it just seems pretty clunky. That's a lot of 12 mana to kill two creatures. I agree, it's super clunky, but it's a ton of value if you have the mana to do it. And it's in in installments, so it's not like... It's still yeah. really expensive, don't get me wrong. But I do think there's something to look out for there. So yeah, lots of cards to combine with Aramancer, and even cards that you can put in the graveyard yourself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and the last thing we want to talk about, we've alluded to this deck as well. This is sort of the the blink synergies that exist. Cloud Shift, that's a single white mana to blink a creature. And White Mane Lion, that's the one in a white 2-2 with Flash. When it comes into play, you return a creature you control to its owner's hand. These are enablers for some really great Enter the Battlefield triggers. So Cloud Shift can combine with a lot of enter the battlefield things uh it can help to take your creature out from under a pacifism but really cool is that it can unmorph a card for a single white mana that is insane yeah so you've got like you know your your really cool morph card there maybe it has an expensive ability to unmorph it doesn't matter single white mana boom flip it up we we alluded to urbis protector that was your uh six drop that made a four four angel when it came into play we talked about that cloud blazer we talked about that as the the white blue uncommon comes into play gain two life and draw two cards mana war the two two that comes into play and bounces a creature court hussar this really slots in great to the blue white theme as well because it's a two and a blue for a one three but if you didn't pay white mana when you cast it you have to sacrifice it and when it comes into play you get to look at the top three cards of your library 
pick one, put it into your hand, and put the other on the bottom of your library. So that's pretty gross to get to rebuy that multiple times. I think this extends past even blue-white. I think there's a lot of synergies in black and maybe like some stuff in other colors as well. There's ravenous chupacabra that's great to blink, obviously. Obviously. Two black black for the 2-2 destroy a creature when it ETBs. Zombify is a way to, to re-trigger all these enter the battlefield effects if your creature has died. Ooh. That's three and a black return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. There's also Supernatural Stamina. I think this is going to be an insanely good combat trick and really tough to play against if you've got creatures with good ETBs. Uh, single black for an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus O. Oh. If it would die, uh, it hits the graveyard and then returns to the battlefield on your side of the battlefield tapped. So you're going to get a re-trigger that Enter the Battlefield ability. Regrowth in green. I know that's a favorite of yours in cube. Mm-hmm. Uh, your card dies. You buy it back. Recast it. Get another trigger. There's just a lot of synergy with all these good ETBs. I'm super excited. I feel like these are we've just like scratched the surface of what this set has to offer. I bet there's a lot more really cool like two card synergies that we are not seeing that we're going to get to explore once the set goes live on Magic Online. Yeah, and if you see ones we've missed, tweet at us. We want to know the secret tech. (laughs) Yeah, please let us know. Well, we promise to keep it secret, but we would love you to share it with us. Yeah, nobody's on Twitter these days. No, (laughs) dying medium for sure. (laughs) All right, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, Is this set live yet? Can we play it? I am jonesing so hard to draft (laughs) this set right now. It's going to be, I think there's going to be such freedom and flexibility to draft decks and to explore things. Like, I think it's going to be a huge breath of fresh air after getting led down some pretty clear paths in Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan. I agree completely. Well, we'll get to check that out next week when we check in and see how we're feeling about the format. Maybe we'll have some better ideas about uh, some archetypes or some color pairs we've been having success with or not having success with. And we'll report all that back to you here on the show. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. If you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitch and Twitter all the time. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Please come hang out in our chats. We would love to see you lurking there or not. Uh, You can also tweet at us. I am at Lord Tupperware. Ben is at Mr. Metronome. Or you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. Hit us up with those two-card combos. Also, if you've got questions about the show or feedback, especially about this episode, stuff you'd like to see in future Crash Courses, other ways we could think about structuring us, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. We welcome any and all feedback, constructive or otherwise. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. 